We're going to James chapter 5, and the study is Cankered Riches, the Husbandman and the Harvest. James chapter 5. Just a wee overview of James, the book of James and James himself, before we go any further. James is writing to the twelve tribes scattered abroad. It says in James chapter 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. So he's addressing the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. But one thing that I love about that verse straight away, James, a servant of God. Now he could have said more because he's the half-brother of Christ, but he didn't. He describes himself as a servant. And I think that's a good starting point for everybody. And it shows the humbleness of James and it shows his heart. James is writing at a time when the early church is under persecution, suffering and oppression. The letter was written about 40s AD, mid-40s AD. And already there was contentions in the church. And there was strivings among God's people. James was a leader in the church in Jerusalem. And it says, James has strong words for the early church. If you read chapter 4, James has very, very strong words for the early church in chapter 4. But it turns in then to a rebuke in the start of chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through to verse 10 and a wee bit of 11. And then I'm going to go through the verses. James chapter 5, verse 1. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupt and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasures together for the last days. Behold the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, craft, and cries of them which have reaped or entered into the years of the Lord of Sabaoth. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord, for an example of suffering and affliction and of patience. And just one line of verse 11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. I'm going to go through verse by verse. James chapter 5 and verse 1. And James is given a rebuke to the leaders of the day who have got ill gains by corruption and have used and abused people. Verse 1 Go to now, ye rich men. Go to now, and this verse means a call to repentance. Go to now. It's an urgent call to repentance 
for these evil, wicked men. Howl, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Weep and howl. Go to now an urgent call to repentance for these evil, wicked men who have got their riches and their wealth by ill gains. And if you don't repent, there will be weeping and howling and your end will be judgment from a holy God. In verse 2, your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Moth-eaten meaning this, this word, this world is passing away, but the treasures of Christ will remain forever. This world is passing away, but the treasures of the kingdom and of Christ will last forever. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be going to a lot of scripture tonight. Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to read verses 19, 20, and 21. Matthew 6, 19, 20, 21. This is the Lord speaking. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Now listen to the next verse. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Brothers and sisters, these three verses say, lay not up treasures on earth. Lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. Kingdom treasures. Serve the master. Serve the Lord. Because your treasures on earth are moth-eaten and corrupted. And you could pass away. You could gain wealth, gain prosperity, and that could be your heart. But you could pass and your soul might be required of you tomorrow or tonight. And what, are your, what is your wealth? What is your treasures? Somebody else will spend it. Somebody else will take it. It says here, for where your heart, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Brothers and sisters, where is your heart tonight? Is your heart grounded and planted in this earth? Where your treasures are corrupted and cankered. Cankered means it's like a cancer. It's just being out away. Is that where your heart is tonight? Where your treasures and worldly goods? Or is your heart already in heaven? When you're serving the Lord, brothers and sisters, and when you're feeding on the word, and I know, speaking from my own experience, my heart is already in heaven. My heart is in the kingdom treasures. I yearn for heaven. I yearn for home. I realize that I am here for a purpose. And I have to be faithful to Christ. And I have to serve. I understand that. But my heart, brothers and sisters, is already in the glory. My heart is already for Christ. There is my treasures. There is where I will see my Savior face to face. And I will behold him. I want to hear the words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. servant, servant. I want to hear those words. I want to see my Savior and my King and my Master. I don't want to be embarrassed when I meet him.
I don't want to have wasted my time gathering up riches on earth. I realize you have to work. I realize that you have to feed your family. I understand all that. But my heart and your heart, brothers and sisters, should be already in the kingdom. Already there. There is your treasures where the moth cannot corrupt and cannot destroy and take away. Heaven is eternal and incorruptible. While the earth is corruptible and transitory, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Live for the eternal kingdom. Where, brothers and sisters, is your heart tonight? Where does it rest? Where is your main concern tonight? Is it caught up in the things of the world when it's dragging you down? Or are you looking up? And are you reaching to the skies and waiting on the master? Because there is your heart. And there is your real treasure for eternity. Verse number three of Matthew, or sorry, James chapter five. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasures together for the last days. Even gold and silver will perish when Christ returns. Even your gold and even your silver will be worthless. It will mean nothing before a holy God. Only what's done for Christ will last. Just flip over the page. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 7. First Peter chapter 1 verse 7. And it says this. That the trial of your faith. Now it doesn't say that your faith. It says that the trial of your faith. Your faith will be tried. Your faith will be tested. Being much more precious than of gold that perishes. It says here that your faith is much more precious than gold, but it's not just your faith, it's the trial of your faith. Though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, the trial of your faith, that's different. It doesn't say faith, the trial of your faith. If you're a true blood-bought, born-again believer, you will be purged. You will be cast into the furnace to get rid of the dross, to get rid of the garbage, so you can be glory and precious and serve the Master. That the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, may be found on the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. It's all for the praise. It's all for the honor. And it's all for the glory of Christ. Christ is coming, brothers and sisters. And we need to be found ready. Ready and waiting that we can glorify him and we can praise his holy name. I jotted down a few notes there for verse 3. Believers rejoice in their privileges, but for a little while they face manifold temptations or various kinds of trials, more precious than gold. Though it be tried, gold is refined by being thrust into a fiery furnace. And brothers and sisters, if you're blood-bought and you are owned of God, you will be tried and you will be tested. It's not going to be all rosy, as we know. Into a fiery furnace where the dross is burned away. True faith must be similarly tried and tested. 
The true believer will be tried and you will be tested and refined to determine its genuineness. The true believer, you're blood-bought. The Lord will take you and he will test you and he will refrain you. But that's where the growth comes. It's hard, but that's where the growth comes in the believer's life. Verse 4 of Matthew chapter 5. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nursed your hearts and as, a, as in a day of slaughter. James calls us to witness the unjust treatment of the laborers. The Lord of Sabaoth, that's Hebrew word, and it means God, meaning the Lord of hosts or the Lord of armies. And brothers and sisters, the Lord's not coming back again to be crucified. Not at all. It happened once. Once for all sacrifice. The Lord's coming back with his hosts, with his armies, and he's going to judge this earth. He's going to rule and reign with a rod of iron. He's not coming back to be mocked. He's not coming back to be spat on. He's not coming back to be whipped. He's not coming back to be crucified. He's coming back to rule in righteousness. But brothers and sisters, we will rule and reign with him. We will rule. Righteousness will rule someday in the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. And you will have a position in the kingdom. But it's up to us what position we take according to the service while you're here in your faithfulness to Christ. Verse 5. You have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. Verse 6. You have condemned and killed the just and he does not resist you. This is a reprehensible behavior. It's blameworthy. It's guilty. It's culpable. Deserving of reproach and punishment. Look what it says in Proverbs 19. Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 17. Now look what it says. Proverbs 19 verse 17. He that hath pity upon the poor landeth to the Lord. He that hath pity upon the poor landeth to the Lord. And that which he hath given, will he repay him again? I'm going to read it again. He that hath pity upon the poor landeth to the Lord. And that which he hath given, will he pay him again? You know, it says here in this verse about landing to the Lord and being merciful to the poor and showing, showing graciousness. Hath pity showeth understanding, grace to those in need, landeth unto the Lord. He need not look to man to repay him, for God will reward him for loving the poor. God will reward you, brothers and sisters, for landing to the poor. If somebody's less fortunate than you, 
be compassionate upon them. Because you don't know when it could be that, that situation yourself. He that landeth to the poor landeth to the Lord, and the Lord will see it, and the Lord will repay it. You don't need to look the man. The Lord will repay it. Mighty verse. Now, James' tone changes now. That was a rebuke for men and women, evil, wicked men and women of the day who had got ill gains and reaped their fields and, got, and filled their barns full of wealth at the expense of others. But I'm going to go to verse 7 now of James chapter 5. And I'm going to explain this verse through. There's a lot in this verse. James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and the latter rain. Now, James is using an example here to the people in that day. And the husbandman in James' day that he's talking about now, he's trying to use an example of a farmer. He's trying to use the example of a farmer who would take a plot of land, who would care for it, who would sow it, who would look after the crops and reap in the harvest. That's what he's trying to get over here. I'm going to read it again. Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Behold the husbandman, so the farmer. That's the analogy he's, he's trying to use here. Waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. So the farmer waits for his crop and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and the latter rain. But this verse really means, he's using that analogy, but what it really means is the husbandman is the Lord Jesus Christ. The divine husbandman. And the early and the latter rain is the Holy Spirit. I think it's worthwhile reading that again. Be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold the husbandman, the Lord Jesus Christ, waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. That's you. And hath long patience for it. He's gracious and he's merciful. And he waits until he receive the early and the latter rain. That is the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to go to Hosea, the book of Hosea. The book of Hosea, chapter 6 and verse 3. Chapter 6, verse 3. And this is Hosea the prophet. And he's prophesying of the Holy Spirit coming. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 3. And it says this, Then shall we know, if we follow on to know the Lord, his going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the early, as the latter, and the former rain unto the earth. So Hosea is prophesying here of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, it's Pentecost. And that's when the Holy Spirit came. That's when the Spirit came down, like cloven tongues. And that was the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 14. And God is speaking here to Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 11 
and verse 14. That I will give you the rain of your land in his due season. The first rain and the latter rain. That thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thine oil. I'm going to read it again. That I will give you the rain of your land in his due season. The first rain and the latter rain. That thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thine oil. Speaking of the Holy Spirit. Now the early rain would have came in October. In October time. And it would have been a deluge. It would have been a downpour. Then a dry season came. Then the latter rain would come in March, April time. The early rain would water the seed and soften the ground. Then allow the the roots to go deep. Then growth upwards from the stem. Then Then in the dry season, knots are formed in the stem to help the stem to stand up. The stem would stand upright in the dry season because the knots would form in the stem and it wouldn't fall over. That's your growth. Then the latter rain matures the corn or whatever it is. It matures the corn and matures the fruit or whatever it is. And you know, this is what Christ does, brothers and sisters, with us. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, when you're you're on the mountaintop, you know, it's easy to praise on the mountaintop, isn't it? Everything's rosy and everything's great. And you're praising and you're worshipping and you're giving your all and you've got a smile on your face, don't you? But then the Lord takes you down into the valley in the dry season. So your roots, the Lord has blessed you with the early rain and your roots have gone deep and you start to grow and you start to grow but then the dry season comes and the knots go into the stock what are your knots? the knots are your purging the knots are your trials because the Lord takes you and he brings you into the valley and you know when you're in the valley it's not nice is it? It's, not, it's hard, and it can go on for days. It can go on for weeks. It can go on for months. It might even go on for a year. And you're in the valley, and you're going, Lord, where are you? Oh, Lord, where are you? This is terrible. I can't cope. What's going on? Where are you? He's there, and he put you there. Why did he put you there? He put you there for growth. He's put you in the furnace. He's refining you. He's purging you for growth. Then the knot will go in. More growth. And a knot will go in. The knots of the dry seasons. Will you grow? You don't grow on the mountaintop. You grow in the valley when you're being purged and tried and tested. That's where you grow. But the thing is, when you're in the valley, and when you're being purged, and when your knots are going in, And when you're wondering what's going on, can you still lift your hands and praise the Lord? It's easy to praise him on the mountaintop. Can you praise him when you're in the valley? Can you still praise him? Can you still worship him? What have I learned to do in the valley? I've learned to shut up. And I've learned to listen. And I have learned to be still. 
And I know that I'm there for a purpose. And I wait. The waiting's the hard part, isn't it? Nobody likes to wait. We all want it now. When you're in the valley and the Lord has you there, don't be saying, Lord, where are you? He's there. He knows where you are. You're his. You're blood-bought. But sometimes instead of Sometimes instead of going, Lord, what's going on? Why don't we just sit and be quiet and wait on the still small voice and the lesson that has, been, that has to be taught? And when we come through the dry season and you've grown and the knots have went in and you've grown and the knots have went in, then the lot of rain comes upon you again. The Spirit of God and it's wonderful because a lot of rain matures the fruit and matures the corn. And the mature blood-bought brother and the mature blood-bought sister is an example onto others, onto new converts. And they're watching you. They're watching what you say. They're watching what you do. They're watching how you behave. And sometimes if you look at the corn fields, whenever the corn grows and it's fully bloomed, and it's got a good head of corn. It just bows a wee bit. It just leans over. That's like a mature brother or a mature sister. And it's beautiful. When you're talking to believers like that, they're fantastic to talk to. You could talk to them all day. And they've learned from, them, from their experiences. They've been purged. They've been tried. They've been tested. Their roots go deep. Their knots are in. Their fruit is there for all to see. And that's what Christ does with the true blood bought. So when you're in the valley and when you're being tried and tested, why don't we just sit there and wait and listen for the still small voice? Let's go to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Verse 1 and 2. John 15 verse 1 and verse 2. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he, will, he purges it. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. That it may bring forth, what? More fruit. You, 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 you have fruit in your life, and that's fantastic. But the Lord will purge you to bring forth more fruit. What for? His glory. His glory. And for the kingdom work. So you're tested and tried. Your faith is tested and tried through the trials. And you're fit for service for the king. That's what it's all about. It's service for the king. It's service for the master. It's for his glory. His honor. Our soon coming sovereign. And our soon coming lord and master. Let's go to Matthew Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. And the Lord is speaking a parable. Verse 24 to 30 of Matthew 13. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat 
and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the household came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. Now did you see that? An enemy hath done this. Not everybody that walks into your body of believers and smiles at you is your friend. There's tares among the wheat. And we have to be careful with that. There's tares among the wheat. And we have to watch out for them. And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into the barn. And then the translation of that parable. Same chapter, verse 38 to 43. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. We need to watch for the tares in among the wheat. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire. Do you hear that? There's no messing about here. The tares will be gathered and burned in the fire. So shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth the angels, the reapers. The angels will reap. And they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend. Now, there's a lot of offense today, isn't there? Isn't there? Everybody's offended. Well, Christ's offended. Because it says it here. And anything that offends Christ, and any godless Christ rejectors, who offend Christ will be thrown into the lake of fire. Simple. It says it here. There's a lot of talk today. Everybody's offended. Everybody's annoyed. Everybody's upset. Well, Christ's offended. I'm offended when people take the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in vain. That offends me. I'm offended whenever I see LGBTQ, whatever you want to call them, walking down the street. That offends me. There's a lot that offends me. But it says here, in this verse, the Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. Everything that offends Christ will be cast into a furnace of fire. The Christ rejecter who offends Christ, this is the end. And shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. But listen to the next verse. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Brothers and sisters, you will shine forth in the kingdom of God. Because what he has done for you. You are blood-bought and redeemed. You will shine forth in the kingdom of God. Righteousness will rule and reign. And everything that offends will be cast into the lake of fire. 
death and hell was taken up and cast into the lake of fire. So the husbandman waits patiently for the harvest. Christ is waiting patiently for the harvest. Verse 8 of James chapter 5. Be ye also patient, establish in your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Be ye also patient. The husbandman is patient for the harvest. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Establish your heart means to be settled, waiting, faithful on Christ in the anticipation of his coming. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7. Revelation 2, verse 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh. Now, are you an overcomer tonight? Are you an overcomer? You overcome by Christ's strength in your life. And how does he strengthen you in your life? Reading this book and staying on your knees. Read the word and stay on your knees. That's how I fight my battles. Are you reading the word? Are you feeding on the bread of life? Only on your knees fighting your battles. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. The tree of life here is speaking of Christ. Mighty verse. Do you know, I was thinking about it this last couple of days and I had mentioned to Ken and Andrew and Jeff Proctor. You know, we, we want revival, don't we? We do. We all want revival. And we want the Spirit to move in a mighty way. But you know, I might not see revival. I might, not, I might not see it. You might not see it. But your children might see it. Your grandchildren might see it. You know, I hear a lot of talk today about Oh, dear, love the children today. Look at the world they're growing up in. And I agree. I totally agree with it. But what would happen if we dug in here as a body of believers and we laid the foundations and we passed into God's eternity? And as Ken said on Sunday, look at the children going out the door. What happens if they saw revival and a move of the Spirit? And they could look back to mature, grounded believers with knots in their stems and their fruits and to look back to us and to point back and to say, our daddy, our mommy, our granda, our granny laid the foundations and look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. Wouldn't it be fantastic and wonderful if we don't see a revival, if the Lord tarries more and we all pass into glory. I have four daughters and I think to myself, Lord, if I don't see revival, will you pour out your spirit upon my four girls? It'll all be worth it.
every bit of it. If those children going out that door on a Sunday, the children's church lived on the good of the Spirit of God, and the Spirit moved in a mighty way, and the Spirit moved in this land in a mighty way, and my four girls see revival, it will all be worth it if I never see it, because I'll be in glory anyway. Verse 9 of chapter 5. Verse 9. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Grudge not. That basically means do not whine or complain. Now, that's a hard one, isn't it? Because Sarah will tell you I'm a complainer and a whiner. I'm only joking. But, you know, we have nothing to whine and complain about. Really don't. So privileged. We have an open Bible before us. We are free to stand. I'm free to, to stand tonight and bring the word of God. There's countries you couldn't do that in. There's countries you would probably be beheaded. But the judge is at the door. And I thought about that. And I sat and thought about it. And I thought about it. Grudge not. Do not whine or complain. The judge is at the door. And I thought about it and I thought about it and I prayed about it. And I thought this. If the Lord was standing at the door of the church on a Sunday, or any meeting, what's he hearing? Is he hearing praise? Thankfulness? Is he hearing love and compassion upon brothers, between brothers and sisters? Is he pleased with what he, with what he hears if he was standing at the door? Or is he hearing whining and complaining? Brothers and sisters, we have nothing. Nothing to whine and complain about. We have a pastor who preaches the word of God without fear or favor. We have men and women in this church who are grounded in their faith and know the word and have love in their hearts. We have a body of believers here who are fearless and who love God. We have a body of believers here that God is moving in in a mighty way and I believe we haven't seen the half. I believe that. But we have to step out in faith and we have to support one another. If one part of the body is suffering, the other, the rest of the body suffers with it. And we have to support them. We have to stand together. And I believe the Lord will pour out his blessing. He is. But I believe there's a lot more to come for this body of believers. Verse 10. Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Prophets who have suffered horrific death. God's people slaughtered in Roman Colosseums. And the martyrs from the Reformation. You know, and I read about the martyrs and the Roman Colosseums. Um, some days you think to yourself, you know, I've had a hard day today, haven't I? No, you haven't. Not at all. Not at all. The prophets suffered horrific deaths. God's people were slaughtered in Roman Colosseums in horrific ways. And the martyrs were burned at the stake. I don't have hard days. These people did. These people did. 
verse 11. One line of verse 11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Brothers and sisters, we need to endure. Go to Revelation. I'm going to finish with this. Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. Revelation chapter 3 and the verse 21. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Now let that sink in. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Even as I also overcame and am sat down with my father in his throne. And you hear the pastor saying sometimes, he gets that excited that his toes open and close in his shoes. When I read that verse, my, my toes were open and closing in my shoes. I, I am excited by that verse. I just feel the spirit welling up in me whenever I read that verse. To him that overcometh, if you are an overcomer, I will grant to sit with me in my throne. Brothers and sisters, we haven't got a clue of the glory that awaits us. It says here that Christ, if you are an overcomer, will grant you to sit with him in the throne. Even as I also overcame, he overcame the world, and I'm sat down with my father in his throne. A symbol of sharing in Christ's kingdom, the true power, the true honor, the true riches, yet awaiting believers, the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, let's be grounded. Let's be steadfast. Let's come forward showing our fruits. And let's be a blessing unto others, for the kingdom of God is at hand.